AVXL episode 135 was recorded on April 11th, 2021. Samsung's getting OLED panels, some LG display, Cambridge Audio's sweet new Evo 75 and 150, AirPod Pro problems, and then there were none. Let's talk about the end of the Harmony Remote. And don't forget to email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your support makes the show possible. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We had lots of stuff to talk about, and then recording got delayed. And then, in a shocking announcement, which uh, kind of broke online Saturday morning, uh, the shortest possible version, because it was a really good wrap-up of the story uh, and Logitech's announcement uh, by Richard Lawler over at Engadget. But, uh, quote, moving forward, Logitech will no longer manufacture Harmony remotes, which makes this a sad day for anybody with a fairly complex, a moderate as Robert wrote, to highly complex home theater system. If you wanted it to be controlled by a single remote and not have to field phone calls, or as one person pointed out on Twitter, they actually had sort of laminated, printed out instructions back in the multiple uh, multiple remote control days for their family members on, on his home theater. That was the greatest thing about Harmony remotes really was that yeah. DIY friendliness, that ability to configure with their incredible database of hundreds of thousands of home theater products to be able to get that into a, a working form that you could literally hand a loved one a remote for even relatively complex systems and just have it work yeah. for the most part. I will truly miss that. You could set it up so it would hit a button and it would... In my particular case, it would fire up the AVR, it would fire up the projector, it would roll the projector screen down. Uh, at various times, I had things fancy enough where it would turn the lights off as the projection screen went down. It, it gave a lot of the stuff that was back in the day associated with incredibly expensive installer setups, uh, and it made it super easy for people to do in their homes. It gave me a chance to experiment with early voice control as well within a home yeah. theater system. It made it fun and kind of easy to roll with that. I don't see another DIY replacement on the horizon in terms of any other company stepping up to take this over. Let's talk about that in a second because okay. Logitech says we expect no impact to our customers by this announcement. We plan to support our Harmony community and new Harmony customers which includes access to our software and apps to set up and manage your remotes. We also plan to continue to update the platform and add devices to our Harmony database. Customer and warranty support will continue to be offered. Cool. Yeah. So if you're clutching the precious, no fear. At least for the time yeah. being, it sounds like it's going to continue to work as expected if you own one of these products and use it daily. Yes. And they're also trying to clear out the channel at full price because there's still, uh, you know, Amazon may not have them, but Best Buy does. You know, you can, you know how to search the internet if you're looking for something. You were worried about their device database. I actually honestly don't think it's their database because they talk about having about 475,000 devices in there. And there are several other companies that have over the past few years. I don't know if they've bought Harmony's database or Harmony's database. Harmony has sold their database to other people or if it's a third party that was a source of all that. But there are at least, you know, three or four places I've seen where they claim to similar or even more devices. Cool. 
in there. I think where it got really interesting for me especially was the ability to do RF. And that's something that's going to be difficult to replace, right? Because I used to have everything literally behind. The screen was in front of me. All the AV gear was in a closet behind us. And Harmony made that really easy. I prefer RF control over a IR blaster any day. <laughs> any day of the week. Although yeah. I have fixed many a problem with a good IR blaster placement. So <laughs> this is true. And there's a whole, I mean, one of my favorite products ever was a small device that plugged in on either. You basically plugged it into the HDMI cable on your television or your projector and the other end went by your receiver and it served as an IR blaster that sort of daisy chained itself on top of your HDMI cable. You took great pains to remind me that uh, for normal people who have TVs, unlike me, uh, universal remotes have actually gotten a lot better. The remote control included with my LG OLED actually has really good universal remote control support in terms of device control. Anything I pretty much plug into that TV can be controlled through the included remote with that TV. In that goes for things like my Roku Ultra, my ultra high def Blu-ray players. It just detects it and it provides control with that TV remote for those devices. And generally I don't have to reach for another remote. However, for the more complex setups, especially once you start getting into AVRs and other devices, that's where Harmony really kind of came into its own with that yeah. near universal support for just about any kind of configuration you come up with. Rob and I immediately started thinking about this. People started asking on Twitter. We've had at least one person asking, uh, you know, messaging us on patreon.com slash AVXL. Um, in terms of alternatives, there are alternatives, kind of. Uh, one, there was never anything kind of as sophisticated as Harmony got. And I also am kind of a little heartbroken by this because... You know, at CD a couple of years ago, Harmony or Logitech announced that Harmony would be working with uh, the installer community, the Cedia community. And that was, you know, we talked to a couple of guys there, or I talked to a couple of guys there who were really excited about this because they could do something in a couple of days. Maybe a client didn't want to deal with programming or setting everything up with Harmony, but they could do it. And they had an option that was vastly less expensive than a traditional installer-based system. Cavo, they had a really fascinating product with a lot of AI. Their first generation product was super complicated. Their second generation product was significantly simpler. And the short answer is it doesn't really matter because Cavo, I've, I've sent an email, but I, I think Cavo is pretty much gone because the Cavo website links to refurbished units on Amazon and that Amazon page no longer exists. There are no more new Cavo units. That's not a good sign. There is Sofa Baton, which is not as fancy as Harmony. There's no RF uh, or hub type stuff. Uh, is extremely well. It's like four stars for 1,500 reviews on Amazon. It's a whopping $38. I have ordered one into test. I will let you all know what happens. We had a great uh, tweet from uh, at Peter Van Harlem, Harlem. He basically used an ESP32, which is like a $10 or $20, uh, a very tiny single board computer. Uh, he did some programming and created a DIY setup that would also trigger multiple devices so he could set everything up uh, Harmony style. That, of course, uh, does not have a remote and requires you to A, be a programmer, and B, use a smart device to control it. Two non-starters for me as someone who A, does not program, and B, needs a remote control uh, that does not give my children the opportunity to play video games certainly is worth considering. And uh, my buddy Daniel uh, suggested to me, it's finally time I, that I got deeper into playing around with the open source and not cloud-based and ever so privacy organized home-assistant.io. And uh, there's 
some other reasons for that, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, if you got some options or thoughts, or if you've seen something interesting, do us a favor, uh, email ask at avxcel.com or tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton with pound ask avxcel and the tag on that. And I just want to say it one more time, Harmony has not killed your existing gear. They have done that in the past, right? Uh, the Harmony Link was about six years old when they when they end of life did or announced the end of life in 2017. You know, if your Link was under warranty, they gave you a free hub. Uh, they gave you a, like a 35% discount on a hub if your Link was out of warranty. Uh, they killed the Harmony Express back in 2020, i.e. last year. They gave you a free Harmony Elite replacement back then. You know, I think Logitech uh, has been really good to Harmony customers over the years. And we got to emphasize, like, anything that's cloud-based can end. And that's one of the reasons why uh, home-assistant.io is something I'm going to be playing around with. If you've been deep in the Nest environment, deep in the Google environment, Lowe's had their service. Uh, Spectrum Cable was notorious for getting a whole bunch of people hooked into a whole bunch of, uh, you know, uh, cameras and alarm stuff. And so many others uh, have had a lot more pain than I think anybody's had with uh, Logitech and Harmony. And again, uh, your mileage is going to vary. So uh, email us, gasketavxl.com. If you have been thinking about one or if your life is built around one, you may want to get a replacement. Program it now, just in case Logitech takes the servers down. But I, I think the advantage is I don't think it's particularly expensive for Logitech to maintain any of the backend to set up your Harmony remote unlike some of the services we've seen where there was heavy cloud integration. And that's like one of the big challenges. You know, the, the more involved the cloud is, the more ongoing expense it is for the company. And that could be really problematic for the lifespan. Good point. Because if it goes away, if the cloud service disappears one day, then like you mentioned in the previous stories, it's like you lose out on a setup you have that was working yeah. just fine. You're forced to start over from scratch at that point in most yeah. cases. And that's just unacceptable. Or just irritating as hell. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> An interesting story I saw this week related to Samsung apparently sourcing OLED panels from LG Display. I first saw this pop up on sammobile.com, and this is linking to an article that came right out of South Korea detailing how Samsung is going to procure up to 4 million OLED panels per year from LG Display to use in their own branded products. They claim that because LCD module prices are rising, you've seen the exit of companies like Samsung and others abandoning that platform to the low cost manufacturers that are out there making really good LCD panels. OLED suddenly is becoming more appealing. Samsung has been working on a technology called Quantum Dot OLED for quite a while now. This is not that. This is actually using LG Display, the WRGB panels to make their own branded TVs. Considering that LG Display produces about 8 million OLED panels, at least they will in 2021, Samsung literally wants half of those starting next year. The current stats say that they're gonna procure about a million panels this year and 4 million next year. That is a huge number. And I am just kind of curious to see what happens to that quantum dot OLED tech that Samsung was working on. I believe that final OLED prototypes using the quantum dot technology from Samsung are due to specific manufacturers like Sony and others later this June. From what I've heard, and it's all rumor really, and Samsung also has not confirmed that this is actually the case, but this is multiple reports coming out of multiple news sources suggesting this is what's gonna happen as far as LG display and their OLED technology getting purchased in large quantity by the good folks at Samsung. I am really curious to see if the QD OLED technology from 
Samsung will eventually mature into something that can be the next gen of OLED, really something that can take the brightness to maybe a whole nother level, maybe double it, or provide even a greater level of color gamut coverage. These are things that currently I find that LG's OLED display technology is a bit lacking in. They are making improvements every year, but it's more right. evolutionary than revolutionary. You look at what they've done with LCDs over the last few years in terms of increasing brightness and color coverage. The benefit, though, obviously, with OLED is that you get the good viewing angles, you get the incredible perfect black. <laughs> and if manufacturing continues the way it is, the price of these panels is becoming more and more competitive with LCD options. Right. You talked about QD OLED needing more time to mature. I mean, what about for Samsung's LCD use of quantum dot tech? Do you think this might actually replace the quantum dot stuff at the top of Samsung's lineup? Or is it just all too early to tell? I would say no. I, I think the LCD offerings from these companies will continue for the foreseeable future. It's always going to be a lower cost option for the most part when you compare like an LCD panel versus an OLED panel. However, Samsung is getting out of the LCD manufacturing business. And even in their 2021 lineup, there are quite a few of these panels that are manufactured by other companies for them. And they source those from a variety of places. The craziest thing for me about this story is the fact that it's LG and Samsung working together. Historically, these are the greatest competitors in the display space from South Korea. And here it is now with LG Display apparently getting their manufacturing capabilities and quality and consistency for their OLED designs up to a point where they're providing them for everyone now. And until something significantly better can come along at a price that's more competitive than what LG is currently capable of doing, I think the companies are saying, you know what, while we work on getting our, our quote unquote next gen OLED technology up to speed, hell, just buy LG displays panels and make our own. <laughs> Similar to what Sony and Panasonic do currently, where they, they procure the panels from LG display, they put their own magic to it, and they make right. very compelling products. And I'll be curious to see how Samsung will differentiate their potential OLED displays, which may arrive by the end of the year. More likely, this will be something for CES 2022 in terms of it's an actual release. And considering that the numbers suggest they're ramping up to 4 million panels for next year. That's a lot of panels. Seriously, that's a serious chunk of LG's manufacturing capacity at this point. Interesting, and something to keep an eye on, just to see when will Samsung return to making an OLED TV, as they were one of the very first to actually put one out for sale, if you don't count that 11-inch version from Sony back in the day, which was oh so cute. And Oh, so color problematic. Yes, expensive $2,500 11-inch screen. <laughs> but it was really pretty for oh. a couple of years. Oh, well. Highly desirable. From the shiny boxes that power your favorite speakers department, I want to give a shout out to Cambridge Audio. They just uh, announced they dropped the Evo 75 and 150 is in 75 or 150 watts into an 8-ohm load. Similar to NAD Electronics uh, M10, it uses Hypex amp modules. These are Class D amplifiers that are capable of incredible, incredible, incredible performance. Hypex Purify, Purify uh, is the latest amp company, by the way, uh, involving Bruno Putzies, which I'm probably not spelling correctly, but uh, the guy's an audio genius. He's behind Hypex uh, and Purify and uh, several other designs uh, or companies. 
And seriously, the, the measured performance on these is ridiculous. Pricing on these is all over the map, depending on if you're going with an established audio company or a smaller boutique shop. As a rough estimate, if you're looking for a standalone stereo amplifier, figure anywhere from 800 to $3,000 for approximately the same amount of power. Uh, but you'll probably get an order of magnitude lower noise than any amp you currently own or have ever heard. Whether or not you need an amp that clean is a big question mark, and that's a conversation for another day. You can always uh, email ask at avxl.com to poke me with a sharp stick and get me to talk about that. Look, we've been talking about them for years. We are huge fans of well-implemented Class D amplifiers, including a lot of the TI-based amps we've heard. And just as a reminder, Class D does not stand for digital. And uh, We've talked about A, B, and D, and Class A, and all the other amp uh, <laughs> configurations, and I'm not going to do it right now. If you are interested, though, go ahead and check out TI's website and take a look at some yeah. of their, not only the, the board designs, they have reference designs that you can actually start with right there, but some of the projects we've seen come out of that for people building their own. Pretty amazing. Are, yeah. Frankly, it's pretty incredible what you can do with a, a good understanding of soldering and yeah. <laughs> chip design and, and a good basic power board design. Supply. And considering how easy it is nowadays to get a board made. Uh, yeah. Let me pause that for a moment because <laughs> one of the things you can do is you can buy a lot of those TI amplifiers from a Chinese manufacturer you never heard of on Alibaba or eBay or any of a number of other, other places. And there are a number of TI-based amps that claim to be 100 watts per channel, but in reality produce like five or six watts. Brent Butterworth's uh, done some of those inexpensive amplifiers uh, on uh, the wire cutter. Audio Science Review is a place that's looked at a bunch of them. They may talk about being 100 watts per channel, but in reality, they're probably delivering considerably less power than they claim, number one. And number two, some of those implementations are atrocious, especially if the power supply is not so good. You're encouraging me to go DIY on this. <laughs> it, it is. And well, that's what part of what's so interesting about in the case of Mr. Putsy's, uh, you know, Hypex or Purify, they are selling pre-built modules. And as long as you plug a decent power supply into them and do the work, the performance is going to be ridiculous. And you don't have to worry about somebody's half-assed board design. I'm laughing at myself now. Yeah. You know what? Maybe that's the way you I know. should go. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, there are lots of DIY options, but if you would like something, there are also options where someone else has done the hard work. We were talking about the Cambridge Audio Evo box. I want to point out that it has a volume knob, and I really like volume knobs on my audio gear. And this one looks like it, it got some of its DNA from the Edge series, which is um, the flagship line at Cambridge Audio. Way beyond my pay grade, but some very sophisticated engineering, and they are very pretty. Uh, it is knurled, it is hefty, and seriously, it is my kind of volume knob. They have a walnut or black rich light side panels, which are a nice option. Uh, you know, and they're like Kef's LSX and so many other hardware products that are out there. A little texture, color, a little fabric goes a long way towards making it blend in a nicer room. As in, it would, uh, you know, this the Evo 75 or 150 would actually fit in with the mid-century kit in our living room and would not have to be buried in the old rumpus room uh, or home theater room like my. Uh, golden ear tower speakers are it's a callback right quote it mirrors the iconic p40 cambridge audio's first ever product from 1968 which was a serious classic it's also powerful classic looks and good quality yeah or modern quality yeah and that's what's crazy right you know unlike the p40 uh it's got more power the power is cleaner there's a 6.8 inch display 
to the left of that volume knob. Cambridge's Stream Magic app is the factory control. You know, think Sonos or Denon Heos. If you're not a fan of the app, and I'll be honest, the apps from audio companies are a mixed bag in terms of role of functionality, you can stream directly to it over UPnP, over your network, uh, AirPlay 2, Chromecast is built in, Internet Radio, Spotify Connect, Tidal, Koba is Rune ready. Uh, it's got Bluetooth or Aptex Bluetooth. It's got a moving magnet phono preamp built into it. I'm kind of curious what the measurements on that are going to end up looking like. It'll take an HDMI cable from your TV. It'll play from USB media. Seriously, there are so many options. You don't have to worry so much about whether or not the Stream Magic app is particularly fabulous in real life, which is nice. Cool. It's not inexpensive, but if you think about the cost of the amplifiers alone and then you lay in the fact that it's it's got uh, so much more packed in the box, um, it's like... 2250 for the 75 watt version, 3000 for the 150 watt version. Again, 150 watt stereo amp with Nord modules or with uh, uh, Hypex modules is going to sell for like a, you know 800 to 1000 dollars from a boutique manufacturer like say March Audio and it's M10, which is a similar all-in-one streaming box, it has 100 watts per channel. It also has direct room direction and it's priced uh, closer to 3000 dollars at like 2800 dollars. There's a lot going on here. I'm still amazed by the performance of my Sonos amp, my second generation Sonos amp, uh, which has fantastic, you know, it sounds fantastic. It's measured audio is fantastic if you're doing digital and not using the, uh, the analog input on that. There's also uh, some interesting DIY project opportunities. Uh, I gotta say, I'm, I'll never hit Cambridge Audio's bar for style. But uh, there's a lot of these devices coming out, and the prices are slowly, ever so slowly, edging down. Very this cool. Pretty. Did I mention there's, you know, that there's neurals on the volume knob? I volume appreciate knob a good knob. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite volume control. Don't need no button. Oh Don't need no touch sensitive anything. I I want a physical I'm... knob. <laughs> there. I... I like, yeah. Well, you know, I got a JDS Labs headphone amp, uh, you know, on my desktop with a great big volume knob, too. Speaking of headphone amps, uh, it is overkill for most folks that aren't obsessed with MQA or DSD audio, but THX announced a consumer product, which they're selling through Razer's website, um, the THX Onyx. I'm going to be honest. If you travel with 300 ohm headphones and you need all the power or you just want a smaller uh, amp DAC combo on your desk, uh, and you want all of the power, uh, THX's Onyx is super, super interesting. Uh, it's also $200. And for the vast majority of folks that need USB-C audio and are using normal human headphones, Apple's USB-C to 3.5 millimeter headphone jack adapter is alarmingly good. It's also $9. Uh, Helm Audio has a $99 THX adapter, but it's not nearly as powerful as the Onyx. I'll double check that uh, for next week. A friend of mine was super, super excited about the onyx and on one hand i don't want to temper anybody's enthusiasm but on the other hand he doesn't actually need the power and quite frankly uh mqa and dsd audio uh, is something that is going to really impact a very small percentage of people that listen to music if you have a giant collection of dsd audio this is probably exciting for you uh you know title mqa i think has been incredibly under underwhelming for me but you know as somebody who has traveled with 300 ohm headphones that need all the power <laughs> excellent <laughs> he looks over at his aeons his aeon <laughs> headphones in the corner um this is super super tempting you know in terms of measured performance it's kind of ridiculous very cool that said you know it's also kind of crazy to see this kind of performance on a 200 dollars portable device i'm kind of curious what it does to the battery life uh, on your phone, for example. 
More on headphone amps as always next week. Hey, I had an ATSC 3.0 update. I mentioned last week I was going to hook up a right. ATSC receiver I picked up a while ago, ATSC 3.0 receiver that I picked up mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, the Silicon Dust HD Home Run 4K Connect. That's that $200 quad tuner includes two current ATSC tuners plus two ATSC 3.0 tuners. I talked about the deployment across the United States. It is spotty at best, and there is a whole lot of nothing in my area right now. It is filled in with <laughs> potential things may occur later this year, right? but there is not a single broadcast, even a test broadcast, that I can take advantage of to actually try out this ATSC 3.0 transmission with its potential for increased data streaming, increased resolution, HDR support, and things like that. South Korea, if you look at the same map on the ATSC.org next-gen TV deployment website, they have gone all in with ATSC 3.0, with active channels being broadcast across the entire country at this point. As far as using a tuner like a network-connected Silicon Dust HD Home Run, I'm finding that it is pretty simple to set up. I literally just plugged it into the network, connected an antenna, ran through the channel scan, and I was up and viewing it on any network-connected device within the house, including my beloved Roku with its viewing app built right in. One thing I was experiencing was a little bit of AV delay as an issue, but granted, I need to fiddle around with it a little bit more and see if I can work out some of those kinks that I'm experiencing. As far as everyone's concerned, I would not be in a rush to run out and try to buy an ATSC 3.0 tuner. If you look at the previous upgrade when we went from analog TV to the original ATSC spec, that literally took a decade. And there is no sign that any of the current ATSC 1.0 stations out there that you can use any tuner and an antenna to receive if you're within range, There's no sign that any of those are going away anytime soon, like years. So while there may be stations (laughs) slowly trickling out, broadcasting in ATSC 3.0, hell, there's even still analog stations broadcasting out there. Uh, It's just like, this is one thing that nobody's in a hurry to do. Everyone's taking their time. I'm looking forward to this next-gen standard, but it is clearly a, a slow process. And again, if you're interested in this and you happen to live in one of the orange zones on the map at the ATSC.org website, there is a couple options out there. But take a look at the 2021 TV lineup right now. And I'm not seeing ATSC 3 in many of the newest TVs, save for some Sony brands and probably some of the more premium models out there. So it's mm-hmm. definitely a an early adopter scenario for ATSC three at this point, especially if you live in the Bay area of California, it's a, it's, <laughs> there's nothing to watch. <laughs> I'm sticking with regular HD there. So close. And yet so far, <laughs> you had some follow-ups on uh, some of the latest reviews on OLED TVs. Was it ATTV test their YouTube channel that uh, things were coming up? Yep. The awesome Mr. Vincent Teo revealed, and he actually had some good test equipment to actually measure this with. The LG Evo panel technology used in the G1 OLED, their their premium 2021 TV, indeed has improved color purity with the individual red, blue, and green spectral measurements. The wavelengths that make up those individual lights for the subpixels is more narrow, more detailed, and has a potential to provide even a greater color gamut coverage. However, if you look at the actual color gamut measurements of these TVs, 
They're not all that different from what came up last year with like the <laughs> LG CX. Now, that said, that improved color purity for the G1 panel does make for a better looking picture when viewed side by side. But if you look at just the measurements, they're really not showing all that much of a difference. And none of them are even exceeding 100% of DCI color, let alone yeah, trying to approach Rec 2020 color coverage. So obviously this is upsetting me. <laughs> it's one thing for people to be like, you know, I, I use the magic widget with my headphones and now they're 2000% better because bias confirmation and all that good stuff. It is a better panel. Okay, so the panel's better, but it doesn't measure significantly, but the not significant measurement looks vastly improved to a trained eye. If you could put the C10 and the G1 side by side, you will see okay. a better looking picture. It should pop a little bit better. And from okay. all the reviews I'm seeing, that is the case. The TVs like the G1 and Sony's premium OLED are the pinnacle of 4K display technology. And I've said it before, but this is really more evolutionary in terms of that. And it's okay. the panel's named Evo. <laughs> so as an I also, evolutionary upgrade from what was last year, I think this is the, the stepping stone for maybe what comes next. At this point, if you had the CX and you're looking at the G or G1 and you're going, maybe I would get improved color coverage or... The color gamut isn't particularly bigger. The colors are more pure and they look better than the CX. It's not that there's a larger color coverage, but the colors you're actually getting look better. This is true. Okay. I can buy that. Hey, you said your OLEDs hit like a thousand hours. Have you noticed anything? Is it aging? Is there any burn-in? Is not a problem. I was more surprised that I actually managed to rack up a thousand hours on the thing. It was, I had <laughs> managed to uh, go into the menu and it actually has a feature that tells you exactly how many hours the panel's been operating. Right. It had hit 999, 999 hours on the panel. And I was just sitting there going, hmm, <laughs> that was a quick thousand hours. And that's, that's in my opinion, very young for any of these OLED panels at this point. I have seen no degradations of any kind, no signs of burn-in. It has been just a phenomenal product uh, to this point. And with the return of my uh, K10A Klein Instruments meter, I spent a good deal of time the other day just going through it, both the SDR, HDR, Dolby Vision, calibrating that thing to a beautiful, beautiful result. And mine is the C9, uh, I believe 2019, and I'm still loving it. Still getting the same wonderful image quality and still experimenting with different features built into it. It's a delightful viewing experience, and I have no regrets on spending a little bit extra for that when I did. You're reminding me I, I need to check the number of hours that have been racked up on the uh, projector to see if it's time to keep a spare bulb. <laughs> Good idea. Not that we've had it that long. And something that's always worth mentioning, if you have an LED TV or a desktop monitor for that matter, the worst thing you can do is leave it on 24-7. Because if you leave it on 24-7, you're probably three years away from the brightness dimming approximately 50%. I had a great conversation with Dell, uh, the engineers and product managers um, behind their monitors. And they were like, the best thing you can do to make your monitor last is to turn it off when you're not using it. That's a good and the point. The worst thing you can do is to leave... Uh, you know, leaving the weather channel on 24-7, like, I, I get it. It's a lifestyle choice. But leaving the weather channel on 24-7, leaving an animated or, or just any kind of uh, uh, screensaver on your monitor 24-7. Or, you know, for example, the the art monitors, the frame monitors uh, from uh, 
from Samsung, if you leave those on 24-7, you are going to literally wear your monitor out faster to use an inappropriate but marginally accurate uh, comparison. Generally, for any setup on a TV I do, I try to never increase the panel brightness to 100%, if mm -hmm. at all possible. Bring it back to 95% if you're going for that daylight mode. But I never want to push something as hard as it can go, especially if right. the usage case is going to be, it's I'm running this thing 24-7 or 16 hours a day minimum. Uh, <laughs> it will put more wear and tear on the panel unnecessarily. Granted, you don't really have to worry about burning with an LCD panel but it will decrease brightness over time just by driving it as hard as possible, especially day in and day out. You may not notice it for the first couple of years, but if you're looking at a long-term investment, yeah, that's where you really wanna take advantage not only of your, your multiple display modes for if, you're, if you don't need that extra brightness, turn it down right. to where it's eye comfortable. But even if you are creating that, that daytime super bright, super colorful mode, Try to avoid pushing any control to 100% unless it's absolutely necessary. And then it'll just help your stuff last longer. It always does. <laughs> I've been playing around with AirPods uh, in no small part uh, due to uh, the enthusiasm of, of an audience member about the spatial audio in AirPods Pro. If you are a person that has difficulty getting uh, AirPods or uh, the AirPods Pro to fit to your ears, uh, definitely give a look at Comply's uh, foam ear tips. They do a, a sample kit where it's like $27 and they're small, medium, and large. The ear tip kit that they offer is, is nice. Fit was improved. I had solid base, which is what you usually look for when you're talking about an earbud. But when I ran the ear tip fit test that's built into iOS, uh, it said it did not have a good seal. Do you think that's due to the fact that it's not what Apple had originally tested that feature out with? They were using the default I wonder, tips. I also turned around and went back and, and I, you know, I can also, I was having difficulty. I don't have all three sizes of the factory tips that come from Apple uh, at, at hand at the moment. I've, I'm in the process of sort of rebuilding the basement and those got shuffled off to a corner. Gotcha. But I can no longer get the factory tips that were giving me the green light of joy to give me a proper seal. The challenge was is, is sitting down, I could I, I would get a good seal. And I, I had an experience. But as soon as I started walking around, uh, the, the AirPods kind of started falling out of my ears. This is an anatomical issue with me. Uh, it Understood. may be an anatomical issue with other people. I mentioned this earlier this year when I first looked at them. They're the best sounding AirPods I've ever heard. They are a good step over the standard AirPods. They are not a particularly spectacular audio experience. Uh, listen, not to get all Cambridge Audio heavy on this episode, but like, you know, the Cambridge Audio Melomania 1s, which deliver nine hours per charge, which is twice the AirPod Pro, uh, cost less than half as much uh, for $99, have a better audio experience. The mics suck uh, in the Melomania 1, but... Uh, you know, there are a lot of options out there for, for earbuds. You know, there are also a lot of atrocious options out there that don't sound as good as the AirPods, but that's, it's really frustrating. And I also will say only part of my frustration is with the actual AirPod fit uh, in my ears. It's just literally, I, given what they're charging, I think the AirPods Pro should sound a lot better than they do. Gotcha. You know, indeed, that's just me. And I also want to give a shout out uh, the noise cancellation in the AirPods Pro. 
it's good that it's there. The measurements I've seen for it put it maybe 8 dB of attenuation, which is significant. I think wire cutters pick one more true wireless ANC. That's like 18.2 decibels of reduction. The AirPods Max over-ear, which is ridiculously priced, but that's like 29.4 dB of reduction. That's pretty good. Yeah, one more is $150 dual drive ANC Pro is like 24 dB of reduction. So that's earplug quality. Yes. Um, okay. Within certain frequency ranges. Ah. Uh, a question we had a while ago. Look, yes, noise canceling earbuds do protect your hearing, but only in the frequency ranges they actually work on, which in the case of most of these devices is emphasizing the low frequency audio and especially the stuff that's associated with airplane noises. What they don't do is protect you with sudden sharp blasts of noises, like if you are running an impact hammer or if you are you know, shooting a rifle or any of a number of other things. If you're in like a server room and there's a lot of high frequency noise and it's actually worth you know, testing this, they are not going to protect you from a lot of that high frequency noise because it's just kind of attenuated through the case. It's or not attenuated by the case. So you know, yes, these will help your hearing. Yes, these will help protect your hearing, but only in the frequencies where it works. Your best thing you can do is to have a big physical ear muff that goes over, say, your earbuds, which is, sounds a little belt and suspenders, but will vastly improve your protection in certain environments. So automatic noise cancellation can improve the listening experience, but you should not be depending on that for any kind of yeah. ear protection or hearing protection in noisy environments. If it's a continuous noise and it's in the frequency that the device attenuates, you're fine. Uh, <laughs> but that requires actually having there. numbers. Yeah, there's a lot of qualifiers there. You know, um, there's a lot of qualifiers there. Look, I'll be honest with you. Like, uh, my whole relationship to active noise cancellation has changed vastly in the last few years. In part one, there are devices, and even Bose is actually starting to make headphones that don't sound like crap. They've radically improved the quality of music coming through their headphones. Mostly for me is that active noise cancellation no longer makes my head feel like it's going to collapse, um, <laughs> which is something that some people experience with it and some people don't. The thing that really got me was I was doing a bunch of cross-country I did a, a way more travel than I intended to this year, and I realized that having the headphones with noise cancellation, when you're driving a 26-foot Penske truck 3,000 miles, you're a lot less worn out at the end of the day if the active noise cancellation is keeping the sound of the diesel and the wind on the cab from hammering your cell in. I, I know people who work in server rooms, and they're like, look, the difference between having active noise cancellation when you're sitting in a room full of fans, 90 dB, is serious. And one, because if you are around continual noise for eight hours, uh, it will do damage. It can do permanent damage. It accumulates over time. So, you know, there's there's a lot of good things going on here. They're not the end-all and be-all, but it's worth talking about. So Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, save your ears. Our condolences go out to the family, friends, and fans of DMX, a.k.a. Earl Simmons, who passed today after a week in intensive care. Man, it's dark and hell is hot and flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. Uh, if you were anywhere near a club yes. <laughs> in 1998. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know. oh, I enjoyed a lot of DMX in the club and in the bars. Oh, my goodness. And in, and in the bars. Sundry other places. The... <laughs> <laughs> Blasting from car windows. Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy worked hard for a decade and then his, 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 he became an overnight sensation. But the man had a huge impact on rap, some epic struggles with addiction and the law. 
or at least the IRS, and we are saddened by the loss. DMX was 50 years old when he passed. I am also delighted to say that my great musical unicorn, Rage Against the Machine, I have not missed the 2020, make that 21, no, make that 2022 Rage Against the Machine Run the Jewels tour, although I'm sure I will miss that tour also. Uh, I managed to miss their last show, uh, their last small tour and show at City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey, before their eponymous first album blew up. Uh, I missed them at the Kyber Pass in Philadelphia. I've missed them at sold out stadium tours. Uh, um, you know, then they stopped playing, uh, hope springs eternal, but I actually do expect to miss them on the 2022 tour, but uh, I am uh, excited for live music to come back later this year. Indubitably. We both have recently gotten our first Pfizer shots. Uh, Oh, yes. That was a great day. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, pulled into a parking lot, stuck my arm out the window, waited in a holding <laughs> holding pen for about 15 minutes to make sure everything was cool. Drove my butt home. <laughs> I'm very thankful. I had to leave my car, but it was OK. You know, and props to, to bands like Trampled by Turtles and so many others that experimented with, uh, you know, Trampled by Turtles was doing live shows in what do you call them? Drive in theaters. Uh, right. Props to. You know, there's been online stuff. I think the Foo Fighters is an example of a band that was doing online streaming uh, of events. or right, We call them concerts, shows. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing some live music later this year. I am just so. enjoying that the reopening of various businesses, particularly restaurants, and being able to sit down at a place and have some experience like we had a year and a half ago or so. Something familiar. It is really a nice feeling. And yeah, I'm still personally just kind of taking it easy until I get that second shot. And then that's a good choice. Holy cow. Do I have a lot of people with brand new OLEDs and LCDs that need (laughs) calibration? They are waiting. I'm surprised. I've been contacted by a few people who have picked up that A90J from Sony. And that is arguably one of the very finest TVs of 2021. And I look forward to getting my hands on that. I don't think my calibration software has even been updated yet. I need to test on that thing. And here's hoping that the apps and calibration tools are effective. Otherwise, I'll be doing it quite the manual old school way uh, when it comes time to actually work on those. Which, thankfully, if you talk about how difficult it is to calibrate any particular TV, Sony TVs in general are some of the easiest just because... You typically only do one white balance, and that covers not only your SDR, it covers your HDR and your Dolby Vision all in one shot, which is a fantastic way to do it when it can be done that way. But either way, I am uh, looking forward to getting eyeballs on that and do a little testing and see where it goes. In uh, a cheerful note, Godzilla vs. Kong available on hbo max uh my youngest has been poking me with a sharp stick because he is deeply fascinated uh with both godzilla and king kong has hit 350 million for global box office and 70 million dollars or 69.5 million dollars in the u.s which is not a lot uh compared to say 2019 but it's a lot compared to 2020 it's interesting right limited capacity theaters in the u.s and available on HBO Max. Uh, but apparently a lot of people don't have HBO Max, and a lot of people miss seeing, seeing movies in theaters. So something something worth thinking about. Also, Godzilla. Godzilla! Every day is a little better with a little Godzilla. 
I am itching to fire up my Blu-ray player and go through the last of the few movies I have purchased yet have not watched. <laughs> so that's that's today's project. I got actually sucked into some of the movies that are available on YouTube. I subscribe to YouTube Premium. I think it's called Premium. Right. Whatever. The one that gives you no commercials, generally speaking. And they have a vast selection of movies on there now. Full-length movies with no interruptions. I have no idea how the comparative quality is, but it did give me the opportunity to rewatch Mars Attacks, the uh, Tim Burton <laughs> classic. It has aged okay, and there are definitely a couple of laugh-out-loud moments in that movie. So if you need a smile and something kind of light and funny, and just the number of actors and actresses right. who are in that movie is like a... <laughs> it is a bunch, There's a lot of cameos, a lot of fun. And uh, I was glad to see that. And it also has one of the worst screen crawls for opening credits. It actually goes oh. sideways at an angle. And it really does a test in terms of how your TV handles motion compensation and estimation and making that text look decent as it scrolls into the distance. I was experimenting with various settings on the TV, just trying to get that to look right. I believe that is a, an example of something that was shot on film or recorded at 24 frames per second, but then it has a video overlay for that title intro. And that combination of the two requires a decent processor to make that look not like a jagged mess and flickering like crazy. It took some tweaking before I found some settings that actually made that look decent. I'll get into that a little bit more maybe next week in terms of what I was messing with and if it's worth your time to do the same. It's a shame you weren't in Vegas for the last uh, CES before the pandemic because the Neon Museum worked with Tim Burton to do a basically a gigantic-ass art project involving their collection of neon signs and some of his creativity and his neon recreation of... Uh, you know, he's he's somebody who started going to neon or to uh, Vegas when he was a kid, and he had all these memories of neon signs. So that it was this sort of interactive art experience. My failure to but, attend CES 2020 was directly related to me actually having COVID. So <laughs> I was I was I was a sick puppy, and I was sick. Rob for, was ahead of the curve. Yeah. And so not only have I had well, it, now I've had the vaccine. <laughs> so and now the variants are popping up. Ah, take care of people. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's just walk away from that conversation. <laughs> right. Indubitably. This is AVXL, people. You can go to AVXL.com for all of the links uh, or just search for AVXL on your favorite podcatcher. If you got a question for us, do us a favor, tweet ask at AVXL.com or you can or we'll email ask at AVXL.com or tweet at Robert Herrett, at Patrick Norton or at AVXL. Pound ask AVXL is a great way to help get our attention on that. If you're a patron at patreon.com slash AVXL, your small contribution of a few dollars a month, uh, well, or it may be a significant contribution of a few dollars a month for your budget, but we really appreciate it and we try to make sure the show is worth it. We got Hangouts coming out this month. Uh, I'm working on getting a response within 24 hours to anybody who posts at patreon.com slash AVXL. And uh, we really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, we do. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.